Friends, it is so good to be together in this way today. If you've been around worshiping with us for a while, you may have noticed I haven't really been around. And then maybe a couple weeks ago you noticed I slid back up to help lead us in worship from time to time. I was not here. I had a baby in October and had a very gracious uh, three months of leave where my husband Keenan and I got to settle into our new life together with our little one, with Thomas, and he just turned four months this past week, and we are so grateful. We are loving life, and I wondered if it was okay. Can I just brag a little bit? So many of you have been so gracious to us in this time, even though I haven't met many of you in person yet, um, with your encouragement and your blessings over our family. So thank you. Uh, We are so grateful. Today, we are on the way. We continue to be on the way with John. And we're going to listen to God's word from John chapter 6, starting at verse 35. Um, So feel free to find it if you'd like to, or just listen as we hear God's word together. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Okay, wait, actually, let's not keep going yet. Let's pause. Can we back up just for a minute? Because we accidentally jumped into uh, the middle of a conversation that's happening in John 6. And in that conversation, there's a lot of talk about, can you guess it? You can say it out loud if you want. It's bread. These are the limits of our virtual way of communicating. I wish we could dialogue more. Just a few verses back is that famous story of multiplication. Five loaves and two fish that end up feeding 5,000 hungry people. And just a day after that, the crowds find Jesus again. Um, They want a sign. They're pestering and pushing for more of what they saw the day before. And they even quite astutely make a connection to a story from their past. God providing food, a different kind of bread, in the desert for their ancestors called manna. And Jesus says, there's more where that came from. And they want it. They want more bread. They want that sign, but but they don't get it. They don't quite understand what he's trying to say, so he gets right to the point. No, I am the bread of life. Forget waiting for more manna to cure that physical hunger, even though he did that yesterday too. There's that deeper hunger that we all have, and Jesus says, I'm the only thing that's going to satisfy you there. So let's start again, keeping that in mind. Jesus said to them, this is verse 35, I am the bread of life. 
whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. And then we'll jump to verse 41. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father can come to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except for the one who comes from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that has come down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread has eternal life, and the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of him, whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that has come down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said all these things while he was teaching in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you listen very carefully on a Sunday morning at Pillar, you might be able to hear the whispers of the littlest among us. Lila Gabhart, coming down the aisle to be baptized, saying, more bread. Everly Durr asking her mom in the pew, is it time for the blood thing yet? Ava Brown, and maybe this one in a little less of a whisper, requesting the dip. And because pictures are worth a thousand words, uh, here's a few of sweet Ava a couple of years back, partaking in the dip after church. And if you were a fly on the wall of the Quaker household, Henry's mom, Sandra, tells this story. Henry told me he was really hungry for community today. He can't wait to go back to church next Sunday. What a mature little scholar in the making. 
But then he started to tell me about how he and Ava ate the community after church. Going to assume he meant communion. And this is what I love about coming to the table week after week. And in case you're still getting used to that, um, like me, you thought the Bible mandated quarterly communion practice, let me remind you that John Calvin himself preferred communion at least weekly. And I found in my own life that only with such frequency of coming to the table, eating the bread and drinking the cup, can I start to believe that it's actually real and true for me. And in in this way, these little ones among us may even be light years ahead of me already. And we'll go there again together in just a few minutes. There are certain images, maybe you've noticed this, in the Bible that seem to rise above the others in terms of significance. Trees and wind and water and bread. From manna in the wilderness to God's people way back when, to countless other times that God provided food for his people in famine, to prophets, to kings, to widows, to numerous lessons of faith that Jesus offers his followers, to Jesus' own fasting and temptation in the wilderness, to the prayer that Jesus taught us all to pray that we call the Lord's Prayer, to the feeding of the 5,000. Bread is familiar. Bread's everywhere. We can get on board with bread. And all those signs, all those moments of provision, well, Jesus says now, it's not actually about the bread. It's about me. I am the bread. And in that move, you've heard it, suddenly we're not talking about bread anymore. We're talking about flesh and blood. And while you may very well be very comfortable with this verbiage because you've been around the church for a while. You may have grown up like Lila and Everly and Ava and Henry steeped in the theological significance of eating the body and drinking the blood. That could be you. (laughs) But I also got to say, if I were some person who randomly came across Pillar's YouTube on a Sunday morning and tuned in and heard me talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, I'd probably skip on to the next video. Because all of this sounds weird. Christians are weird, and maybe it's all as strange as I always thought. You may have picked up as we read, these words weren't any less weird or concerning even 2,000 years ago. The Jews listening are thinking, who does this guy think he is? And we know from historical records that as the earliest Christians, Christ followers, did follow Christ's command to eat his flesh and drink his blood, they were accused of cannibalism, among other things, because nobody really understood. And that's fair. So I want to be clear today. When Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What he's saying is, I am for you. I am totally, completely, to the very fibers of my physical body and being for you. I came here for you. I died so that you might have life, and that life being 
full and whole and free life, not the life we try to piece together for ourselves. I defeated death so it's no longer the enemy. I rose to life so that you will too. Every piece of me has been given for you, so take it. Ingest it. Isn't it crazy that instead of pursuing this real life, we choose to numb ourselves instead so often? We numb with food. We numb with substance. We numb with gaming or Netflix or mindless scrolling or whatever else could be a good thing but in the right circumstances turns into addiction. We fill ourselves to the brim with what soon will leave us empty. Jesus says, I'm different. You fill yourself with me. You fill yourself with life. You know that saying, you are what you eat? That's the point here. I'm for you so I can transform you from the inside out. So on a day like today, we eat the bread and we drink the cup so that our lives become so entwined with Christ that they might even be indistinguishable to the world. I mentioned earlier that those first Christians were accused of cannibalism. They faced a number of claims. They were rumored to be incestuous as well because of their language of brother and sister. And it wasn't uncommon for those and other reasons for them to be under investigation. Pliny the Younger, the Roman emperor, not the IPA, he spent significant time interrogating Christians. But all that he found in the end was a commitment to Christ, even unto death, and a concerted effort to live lives of virtue. And in fact, during a rampant plague that went on during the 4th century, we know nothing about that, 4th century Roman Emperor Julian found that Christians were not only caring for their own people, but Romans as well. Unheard of. Those early Christ followers took Jesus seriously and ingested him. And Christians like to debate what exactly that means, but for our purposes today, we trust in the mystery of the Spirit that unifies us with Christ. And so in doing this, these first Christians made his life theirs because he fully and freely gave himself for them. And then the world noticed. Do you know what Christians are known for today? I have a friend who likes to keep his ear to the ground in the atheist community, staying up to date with why they're choosing this kind of faith for themselves. And I use that word faith intentionally. According to this friend, many atheists aren't turned off by Christ. They're turned off by Christians. And that resonates with that famous indictment attributed to Mahatma Gandhi I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This week, one of you shared with me an op-ed by David Brooks in the New York Times. Maybe you recognize that name. The article pays specific attention to the disorientation of Christians and specifically evangelicals in the last few years. 
This is what he writes. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord, say the opening lines of a famous Christian song commonly known as By Our Love. In its chorus, it proclaims, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. The world envisioned by that song seems very far away right now. The bitter recriminations have caused some believers to wonder if the whole religion is a crock. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. I think when Christ suggested that we participate in his death and his resurrection, in saving us and offering us new real life in him, I think he had in mind that we might become more like him for our own sake and for the sake of the world. And yet here we are, divided, siloed, defensive, so concerned about being right that we forget to be love, so set on having an answer that we refuse to listen, so sure of what's true that we resist curiosity. Later in that same New York Times piece, Brooks adds this, the age of the autonomous individual, the age of the narcissistic self, the age of consumerism and moral drift has left us with bitterness and division, a surging mental health crisis and people just being nasty to one another. Millions are looking for something else, some system of belief that is communal, that gives life transcendent meaning. Christianity is the potential answer for that search, and therein lies its hope and the great possibility of renewing its call. Could it be? Brooks, too, points to the living bread, to Jesus. Therein lies Christianity's hope. And so with Lila, I say, more bread. With Everly, I ask, is it time for the blood yet? We need a full life. So give me Jesus. We need a reorienting. So give me Jesus. We need what those first Christians had. So give me Jesus. We need more Jesus. We need to ingest Jesus. In just a minute, I'm going to hop over and join Jonathan and Tammy to offer a song that I hope you can receive as a prayer as you take communion wherever you might be in, in whatever way you might do it today. If it's helpful, there will also be prayer prompts on the screen that you can consider praying as you do. For now, we come to the table where Jesus says, take, eat. This is my body given for you, my flesh. Take, drink, this is my blood shed for you. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. He's for you.